Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So we're launching a new series today called uh, Twisted, and um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that, but let me, let me just start off with this. Years ago, um, first of all, I, my, my parents divorced when I was very, very young, and uh, they, they separated, and, and for years, my dad and I uh, kept a, a good relationship, and then for a time, the, he wasn't in my life, and so my stepfather adopted me, so the guy that you see walking around here that I call dad, that's, that's my stepfather, but he's been my dad all my life, and he's an incredible man, and uh, I encourage you to get to know him, but he and my mom raised me, and sometime later, what maybe, I can't remember, maybe I was about 13 or 14, my father and I reconnected, and uh, as, I, as I continued to grow and walk, in my walk with God, I learned that I needed to be praying for the lost in my life, and I identified my biological father as somebody that was far from God, and I started to pray for him. Pray that he would come to know God in the same way I did, which, you know, of course, means going to church on Sunday morning, and we don't swear, and we don't tell dirty jokes, and, you know, I was a kid, you know. And I continued to pray for him, and this one year, I was probably 18 or 19 years old, I prayed, I said, God, I want my dad to come. And I prayed that, that verse in John 14, 14, if I ask anything in your name, you'll do it. And so I prayed, I said, let him come to church. It's Easter, a lot of people come to church on Easter, and so I invited my dad, you know, to come to church, and he came. And I didn't get a chance to sit with him. I was a youth leader at the church, and I was sitting with the youth, but I saw him come in, and God answered my prayer. He came to church, and I thought, surely if he comes to church, he'll hear that salvation call at the end of the service. And when the preacher says, shoot your hand up and come to the front and receive Christ, that my dad will come. And so I was instructed on this particular Sunday morning to be one that was down at the altar to pray with youth. And, and so the, the preacher starts going. He's laying into it. And he's, he's doing an excellent job painting a picture of who Jesus is and why you should accept him and the gift that he offers. And I'm down at the altar and I'm just watching my dad. I'm just watching him. And then it happened. He said, shoot your hand up if you want to say yes to Jesus. One, two, three. And my dad got out of his seat, and he walked out the back door. It's not the way you thought the story was going to go, did you? You thought, this guy's a pastor. He gets everything he asked God for. And that day, a lot of confusion set in. That day, I'm going to be honest with you, I was mad at God. Because I'd prayed for him. I prayed for my dad. I'd asked for it in Jesus' name. His word says, if you ask for anything in my name, I'll do it. And yet, my dad walked out the door and didn't commit his life to Christ that day. And I was really, really angry. And either that verse wasn't true or it's possible that I had it twisted. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at common verses that as the church, we kind of take out of context and we use them to twist them to our own purposes. We use them to twist them to what we want in our life. Next week, we are going to be looking at one of the most used verses in the world, I would say by Christians and non-Christians alike. It will be the most culturally relevant message in this series. So invite your friends or share the podcast. 
But non-Christians use this verse, don't judge unless you be judged. And Christians use this verse, don't judge unless you be judged. So we're going to talk about that next week, and I'm going to equip you for what that means and what that verse means. So be here next week for sure. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the words of Jesus in John 14, uh, 14 13 through 14. And uh, this is a, a verse that many of you have quoted and prayed just like I did. So let's read it together. The verses, of course, will be up on the screen, but you can uh, use your Bibles or use your Bible apps to follow along if you'd like. But it says, and, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Man, that's a great promise, isn't it? That feels good. Makes you want to sign up for this Christian thing, right? So if I just ask for it in Jesus' name, I get it? All right, let's continue on. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Basically, he says it twice. And when you read this verse, just stand alone the way it is, you say, so I'll get the job, I'll get the girl, I'll marry a model, and I'll win the lottery. Based on this verse, Jesus has to give me anything. I mean, like when I read my actual printed Bible, those are words in red, right? So those are promises. I have to have whatever I ask for, he's supposed to give it to me. I remember the first time that I read that verse, I was a, I was a teenager and I was in my room in the basement of my, my parents' house and uh, I was laying on my waterbed. Yes, that's how old I am. Some of you young people just said, what's a waterbed? How many of y'all remember waterbeds? Yeah, there's the old people. There you go. <laughs> so... I'm laying on my waterbed, and I read that verse, and I remember distinctly like it was yesterday. I jumped up out of my bed, running with my Bible, and I went to my mom who was standing in the kitchen a little bit confused, and I said, Mom, did you know that this verse is in the Bible? And I read it to her, and she looked at me just blinking and said, Yes. Are you kidding me? Like as if, and we live this way? Dad's been driving that old citation for how long? How many of y'all remember citations? Yeah, there you go. That's the, there's the old people. <laughs> we had a hatchback citation. I rode in the trunk of that thing, just looking up at the sky, you know. No seatbelts or nothing. We didn't care about those things. Safety, schmafety, whatever. I didn't even mean to talk about the citation. I apologize. Let me get back to my, my notes. But I remember her face, and I was just, I was, and I don't know if she knew that there was going to be a problem but for sure, I went forward and there was, there was many problems. I was very confused by this verse. I was excited by it, but I was confused. Some years later, we were using this verse. I went to a Christian school and my Bible teacher came in and told a story one day of how his father was sick. Like sick and going to die kind of thing in the hospital. And uh, he had us pray. The entire faculty of the school was praying principal, everybody, during our chapel sessions, we prayed for his dad. And suddenly, my Bible teacher wasn't at school anymore. He was gone for a few days, and when he came back, he went from being, come on, Jesus, you can do it. I believe you. We're asking in Jesus' name, my father's going to be healed. He's not going to die. He came in a different man. His shoulders were slumped. His countenance had changed. And we said, what happened? He said, my dad died. Well, we prayed the prayer. We read the verse. We asked in Jesus' name. And I was heartbroken for a man that I admired who looked at all of us and said, I guess my faith wasn't great enough. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. So, so many people read this verse 
And when what they ask for, they don't get. They come away feeling that either this verse isn't true, or maybe there's another reality. Maybe we just twisted it. Maybe we've just got it bent. And so today what I want to do is, is I want to help you. I want to equip you. Because as the church, as Christ followers, we need to understand how to read our Bibles. We need to understand how to read verses like this and understand exactly what they're speaking to us. Because otherwise, we have a tendency to get it twisted. And when we get it twisted, what happens is, is we wind up confused and disenchanted with our Lord and Savior. Because, well, he said this, and he didn't do it. So let's be good students today. Take notes. Play along. Be a part of what we're doing here today and hear what God has to say to you. There are three simple thoughts to finding out the real, real meaning of a verse. And uh, let me just give them to you real quick. The first thing you need to understand is the context of the verse. Understand the context. Who is he talking to in the verse? Who wrote the verse? To whom was it written? What was it written about? What's the theme of the verse? We have to understand the context. We need to know what came before the verse, like in that very chapter, and even in the rest of the Bible, and what came after that verse in that chapter and the rest of the Bible. We need to know. This is why it's important that we read our Bibles on a regular basis, that we are feeding ourselves on God's Word. We have to know. You can't just pull out a verse and let it mean what you want because it's convenient to your current bent. Some of you don't like me today, and that's okay. I'm just going to help you. That's all I'm doing. I promise you. Now, you and I have done this over and over again. As baby Christians, as brand new Christians, some of us even long-time Christians, we've done this. It doesn't mean we're going to hell because we got it twisted. No, 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 it just means that we're learning, all right? So if you've twisted some verses, let, let, let's, let's just learn, okay? Let's just learn. So we need to learn the context. The second thing that we need to do is interpret scriptures with other scriptures, Interpret scriptures with other scriptures. The best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible, okay? Basically what that means is that we can't build a theology around a single verse. What we have to do is take other verses with the same theme and look at what the Bible says about that theme all the way through. We need to look at what all the authors of the 66 books of the Bible have had to say about that theme so that we can interpret what the scripture is saying. The last thing we need to do is to apply what you learn. The Bible is not a text that is meant to be merely studied and learned, head knowledge. It is meant to be applied to your life. You are to learn it and do it. So let's do this. My media guy, pay attention here. Watch this. Let's put them up on the screen. Let's go through them. Let's say them all together. And I think I'll point like this. <laughs> that way we can say them all together. Give us the first one. You ready? No, no, the verse, not the verse, the uh, first uh, uh, con the context one. Okay. On three. One, two, three. Understand the context. Give me the next one. Interpret scriptures with other scriptures and apply what you learn. We need a little Pink Floyd, the wall playing in the background. We don't need no education. Yes, we do. We do need an education, okay? We do. But let's apply this process to the verse. Let's learn the context. Let's interpret scriptures with other scriptures and let's apply them, okay? <clears throat> this verse, it says, you may ask anything in my name and I'll do it. The first thing is the context. Who wrote the, who wrote the verse? It's in John 14, 14. Anybody know? It's not a trick question, it's John. <laughs> His name is John. He was the disciple of Jesus. That's a simple one, okay? What's the, what's the theme of the book of John? 
If you don't know, the theme of the book of John is that Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, he begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, excuse me. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wants to establish the Word in that, the word word that he's using. It's like inception when you're talking about this verse. The word word is Jesus. See, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. And Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. The whole theme of the book of John is to establish the fact that Jesus was God. He was the son of God. Now, what's the theme of chapter 14? When you read the whole chapter, you see what Jesus is doing is he's talking to his disciples about the fact that he's getting ready to die and then afterwards raise and then leave them. And so Jesus, being a good shepherd, realizes that what they're going to do is exactly what they did do, and that's freak out. The Messiah is dead. The guy we've been following for the last three years just died on a cross. And so he's preparing them. He says, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to go, but I've got to go. Because if I don't go, then there's not going to be a place prepared for you in heaven. Oh, and if I don't go then I can't send the Holy Spirit, which who, by the way, we prepared for you. Everything in this whole chapter is about preparation. He says, I am preparing. We are preparing. There is something ready for you. So with that, in, with that understanding, let's read it again. And also keep this in mind. The Bible is not a book about you and me. The main character of the Bible is always God. It's always him, Okay? So when we're reading this, let's keep that in mind. Here we go. Here's chapter, or, uh, chapter 14, verse 13 again. It says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Again, if we stop there, that's great. But if we stop there, we turn the creator of the universe into a cosmic vending machine. But there's a comma, not a period in that sentence. Which means that the verse continues on. And the so that provides the reason for why he'll answer our prayers. He says, so that God may be glorified. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is the main character. He needs to be glorified. He wants to be glorified. This verse isn't here so you can have the job that you've always wanted, the kitchen you've always wanted, the spouse that you've always wanted. It isn't here so that you can have financial security. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you can have a big bank account. He didn't put this verse in here so that you could gain that kind of security. No, God answers the prayers so that he might be glorified in heaven. He is the main subject of the Bible. And when we realize this, I think that we will begin to pray differently. Why talk about this? Well, because I think so many people have walked away from God. I could have walked away from God at any point in time because he didn't answer the prayers that I prayed. I could have decided that he is either, uh, he's not real, he doesn't care, or he's not good. And so many people have decided that when God doesn't answer. Because he didn't answer my prayer, he's, he's not real. He's not good. And they walk away. Now, we've looked at the context. Let's, look at, let's go to the next step and interpret Scripture with Scripture. Because there are other verses on prayer throughout the Bible. And we need to see if there are things in each one of those passages that help us understand this one, right? I think there are four things that you're going to find and other verses that speak on prayer that will help you. Here they are. The first thing that matters to God when you pray is your relationships matter. Something you wouldn't think of, but it's in your Bible. Here, look, Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask 
for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's a powerful prayer. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Man, anything I ask for, I get it. Verse 25, which is the rest of the verse that most people don't want to quote, says, oh, and, and by the way, when you stand praying, when you're going to pray and ask me for those things, when you're going to say I need a new car or a new job, how about if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Basically he's saying, hey, you're coming and asking me for something, but how about you take care of the relationships in your life first? The people that have, that have offended you, forgive them. Deal with that relationship before you pray. There's another verse in Matthew 5, 23, where Jesus is talking. He basically is saying, yo, bro, if you're on your way to church to worship and you're mad at your bro, go take care of that and then come to church. Some of you need to make phone calls and have conversations before you even come into the building. That would be a greater sacrifice and a greater demonstration of worship than actually being here and lifting your hands and clapping and shouting hallelujah. He would prefer that over you spending time here listening to me today, over you serving, over you putting anything in the offering plate. He would prefer that. Go take care of that relationship. If he's mad at you and you know it, go take care of it. He cares about our relationships. They matter to God. I don't know, any parent I think could understand this because your kids come to you and say, I want this, I want that, I want an Oompa Loompa. Daddy, get me an Oompa Loompa now. And how many of y'all shouted when Violet shouted out, stop squawking, you nit? Love it. I'm a huge Willy Wonka fan, just so you know. But our kids, I want this, I want that. And we look at them and go, are you kidding me? The way you've been fighting with your brother and sister, go take care of that. Some of my kids, they want to go to the events and the things that we've got planned. I'm like, you all need to hug it out until you're laughing and silly on the floor. Now go take care of it, do it. And it's great. And they do. They hug and they laugh and fall on the floor tickling each other. It's, it's awesome. I'm not going to give you the next thing. I'm not going to bless you in the middle of your disobedience, in the middle of this discord. Forget that. My blessing is removed. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Now, let me talk to the husbands for a second. And ladies, while I'm talking to the husbands, don't you elbow him. You just sit there and pray for him, okay? I'm going to talk to him. 1 Peter 3, 7, you let God work on him. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So basically what this is saying is if I'm a jerketh to my wife Shanda, which I'm using the King James Version so you all know I'm spiritual, jerketh. Don't miss it though, here it is. If I'm a jerk to her, my prayers can be hindered. That's, that's what the Bible says. That, that's what it says. Our relationships matter to God when we pray. The second thing that matters to God when we pray is our motives matter. Our motives matter. James 4, which James, by the way, just some context here. The book of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. It says in chapter 4, verse 3, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Oh, we don't like to hear that. It was common in Jesus' day for Pharisees to stand, these were religious leaders of the day, to stand in public and pray prayers, loud and boisterous ones. God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. Thank you that I'm your child. And they would pray to be seen. I gotta be honest, I've been there. 
I've come to mornings of prayer and fasting, and the only reason I came was so I could be seen. When we do this, it's hypocritical. We're missing the point. Prayer is not about that. We're missing it. Our motives are wrong. So some of you, I, I'm asking you to come and be a part of prayer on, you know, but don't show up so that somebody can see you. Don't show up because you need to check it off your list. Don't, don't do that. If that's the reason you're doing it, stay home. Go to sleep. Others of us, we have wrong motives. We, we, we look, at, look, at, uh, look at the girls and go, dang, Lord, she fine. You did a good job on her. You're the creator. High five. Now, Lord, what I need you to do is save her so that I can date her and call her mine. We're doing it with the wrong motive. We're praying for someone's salvation with the wrong motive. Sounds right. I've heard it said right string, wrong yo-yo. Yeah? Sounds right. Or, hey, God, let me win the lottery so that I can tithe on it. Oh, come on now, really? <laughs> Proverbs 16.2 says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Your relationships and your motives matter to God when you pray. The third thing is, your faith matters when you pray. Your faith matters. James, again, 1, chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Look, your faith moves the heart of God. And what is faith? It's total reliance and hope in him. It's complete abandonment of self and just trusting. It's like a kid. We have to have faith like a child. See, what does that look like? My kids, when they were really, really little, before they learned that I was not actually Superman, I just wore a cape that I had made. Nobody else does that? Just me, huh? Figures. They'd ask me for anything. Anything. They, did, they believed I could get it. They'd ask me for crazy things for Christmas, and you know what? It would move my heart. I'd work extra so that we could get those things. I'd work really, really hard. If I didn't have a skill that they wanted me or thought I could have, I would get it. I would learn how to do it. Things that I'd be scared to do, I'd be bold because my kid believed I could do it. It moves my heart. Our faith moves the heart of God into action. Childlike faith believes that God can and that he will. And even when he doesn't, he still can. It's this faith. It's the kind of faith that we need. Our faith matters to God. We see in the Bible there's two blind men who came to Jesus, which how they got there, I don't know. But they found Jesus. Can you imagine that process? Just, just touching a lot of people. Are you Jesus? No. Are you Jesus? No. And there's two of them going through the crowd. Everybody offended. They find him. They ask him to be healed. And this is how Jesus responds in Matthew 9, 29 through 30. He says, then Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Look, your relationships, your motives, and your faith matters when you pray. Now, if you're taking notes so far, you're quite excited. You're like, okay, so basically all I got to do is get my relationships right. I got to make sure that my motives are pure. And then I need to have faith. That's it. That means I get to just ask for whatever I want, and he's got to give it to me. 
He's got to do it because he said, ask in Jesus' name. If you subscribe to this kind of belief, it's commonly known to as the prosperity gospel in our church circles. You believe that you can name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, see it and be it. You believe that anything that you want, you can have if you just pray it in Jesus' name. But the danger of this, once again, is reducing God, the creator of the universe, God who spoke all of this into existence, by the way, the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, that God, the one who exists outside of our time and space, God that's omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing, that God, you reduce him down to a cosmic vending machine that serves you, where you put in your money and you punch the buttons and you get what you ask for. And when it doesn't give it to you, you kick it and cuss at it and scream and walk away. Just got real in here for some of you. Now, you grew up believing this, or even if you're here today and you believe this. Please don't be mad at me. Just hear me out. Just, just, just hear me out. When I was younger, now I believe this. I, I, I don't know why it took me so long to understand and to learn. But I believe this, man. I I wanted a Dodge Durango when I was a kid. Y'all remember when the Dodge Durangos came out? They were sweet. And they had that, seven, that, that extra row. You could get seven passengers in a Dodge Durango. You know what I'm talking about, Tree. <laughs> Tree had one. I was so jealous. I found out the other day. Dang, never got my Dodge Durango. Spoiler alert on the story. But I pulled up to a Dodge dealership at night because I didn't want to deal with the dealers. If you're a dealer in here, I apologize. No disrespect, but I didn't want to talk to nobody because what I was going to do was a bit weird. I got out that car, and I marched around it seven times. I found the Dodge Durango that I wanted, and then I claimed it in Jesus' name, and I put my hands on it and said, Lord, you're going to give me this Dodge Durango. I didn't have the job to pay for the Dodge Durango, but I was going to, I was, bless God, I was naming it and claiming it. And I did this ritual over and over and over again. Some of y'all are laughing, but I'm being serious. I did this. I'm glad that my life is bringing you so much joy. One night it was raining, and I decided I was going to get out in the middle of the rain. I was committed to doing this, and I got out, and it was raining, and I took my finger, and I wrote my name in the raindrops on the hood. A couple days I came back. It wasn't raining no more, but because I had done that, the dust had settled on the Dodge Durango, and yet my name was still there because I drew, drew it in the wax, you know, and I looked at that, and I shouted for glory. That's going to be my car because it's got my name on it. It's a sign from Jesus. I never got that Dodge Durango. But we believe that we can claim that girl. We believe that we can claim the marriage, claim the hearing, claim or healing, claim that job, claim that raise. When I was at Magic Mountain working there as a teenager, this guy walks in and he's wearing a Lion of the Tribe of Judah hat. Nothing wrong with that. And he walks up and he says, uh, I'll take four pizzas, a couple pitchers of pop, kids gym passes, bumper car passes, go-kart passes, and I'll have some golf too. I rang him up, and the total came out to about $45, and I said, how would you like to pay? He says, oh, no, I'm not paying today. I walk by faith and not by sight. We had not been formally introduced as Christians, and so I looked at him and said, okay. Well, I, I, I can't make that decision for you. I hear what you're saying, but I can't help you. And so I went back and got my manager, and my manager came out and explained to him that that wasn't going to fly. This is dangerous theology where we turn God into a cosmic vending machine. Because the last thing that matters to God is his will. 
God's will matters when it comes to how we should pray. And 1 John, which by the way, this is the same John who wrote the book of John. He just wrote three extra books later, three letters later. Probably to clarify some of his statements from the first letter. We don't know. But he said this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. He said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, here it is, according to his will. If we ask anything that's according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And he'll give us those things. We don't get to demand what we want. That makes us God and not him. No, we get to ask according to his will. What's your plan? What's your design, God? And with this in view, when we look at John 14, 14 again, let's read it. And let's get a sense of more of what it means. It says, you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Look, we are going to the Father, and we are invoking the name of Jesus, asking God to do something on our behalf. And when we do so, we need to do it in a way that is according to God's will. Otherwise, it discredits and misuses the name of the one we came in. I'll tell you a quick story to kind of demonstrate what I mean. This past week, a friend called me and said, my air conditioner's broke, so there's that. And I said, well, I got a buddy. I can help you with that if you need help. And he said, no, no, we've got someone coming. Okay. I talked to him the next day, and he said, I said, how's the air conditioner thing going? He said, well, they're not coming out. It was just Friday. He said, they're not coming out until Monday. And I said, well, remember, I've got an air conditioner guy if you change your mind. He said, I'll wait till Monday. I got a text a few minutes later that said, my wife changed my mind. It's a true story. I actually had a different story to share until Friday. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I called my AC guy and I said, hey, my friend's going to call you. I'm giving him your name and number. And he said, great, I'll take care of you. My friend called him and he said, look, I can't come out today. Tell me what your issue is. And over the phone, he diagnosed the situation, if I understand the story correctly. He said, I can't get out there, but I'm going to be here at such and such time. If you can meet me, I've got the part on my truck. I'll sell you the part, and you can do the install yourself. It's really simple. $95 later, I get a text message from my friend, and it's a video of an air conditioner that is running with a text message underneath it that says, how come it's still hot in my house? The air conditioner had just started. It wasn't going to be instant. My point is, is that he gained the benefits of my relationship with the AC guy. See, I've poured in, into this guy. I spent time in relationship with him, serving his family, serving his future. This guy's going to be a church planner as well, and I've, we've prayed for and served him in his church. So when I needed something, when a friend of mine needed something, he took the relationship that I have established with it and transferred it to my friend. Because see, what AC guy is going to give you, sell you the part and let you take away his service charge? This is what they do for a living. They do that when you have a relationship with them. And so my friend gained the benefits of all my relationship with them. This is what we have in Christ, folks. See, when we pray, we go before our God 
that we have no business being in front of because see, our sin is terribly offensive to him. He is holy and pure and just and we are not. And yet, when we are in Christ, when we have accepted what he has done for us, we find that we have permission to step into God's presence and ask him. We gain all the privileges of Jesus, his son. The privilege of his relationship with him. And we must take care of that relationship. We must honor God by what we ask. We need to be careful. We have a privilege to go and enter the throne of grace. We need to honor the one who gives us that access. We need to honor the name of Jesus. So sometimes we're going to pray and God will do a miracle. And other times we won't get what we've asked for. Once again, years ago when I was younger and believed this prosperity gospel, I found out my mom was sick and she had a condition that was just making it difficult for her to move and for her to walk. An inflaming in her body that even gave her difficulty sleeping at night. So I went to my church and I prayed with people. I even, they even said, you know, you could bring a financial offering to show God that you mean it. So I emptied my bank account savings account at $800 and I brought a check in and I laid it on the altar and said, Lord, I'm serious. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you that's what I did. I was twisted. And I prayed with them, believing that God could, God would, and that I'd go home and call my mom and she would be healed. It was nearly 20 years ago. My mom is still not healed. But that doesn't mean that God won't heal her. And so I continue to pray for her. See, my faith, my relationship with God is not based on what he can do for me. It's based on what he's already done for me, the completed work of what Jesus did on the cross. That's where my faith lies. That's where my relationship begins, not on what he'll do for me. We have to grow up and stop being offended by not getting what we want when we ask God. He has a divine purpose and a plan. In the Bible, it says that all things work to those, to the good of those who serve him. That means the good and the bad. We have to trust. We have to believe. Besides, if prayer is only a tool to get what you want, that's not a God that you want to serve. It reduces him down to being our servant instead of us being his Imagine going before your dad and saying, the only reason you talk to him is to say, Dad, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. In the DeLong name, give me. In your favorite son's name, Joshua, Mom, give me. He's not. I'm actually the favorite. It's fine. I'm well aware, but if my brother's listening, the cat's out of the bag. Prayer is not about getting what we want. Prayer is the avenue that we travel to get to know God. And to give him glory. We pray to submit our wills to him. And pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus prayed. Today, I hope that your faith is built. I hope that you will pray for big things. I hope that you believe that God can, God will, and even when he doesn't, that he still can. That's my hope for you today. Your faith isn't in him doing things but it's in Jesus alone. Let's pray today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Christians, you're here today and you'd say, you know, Aaron, I've been there. I believe this theology of name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, and 
and it's done damage to my heart because I've walked away confused. I've been angry at God because I didn't get what I want. My loved one died. My marriage still dissolved. My kid's still rebellious. My boyfriend's hooked on drugs. Whatever your situation is, because God hasn't answered as quickly as you wanted him to. You're hurting today and you need a healing. I want to pray for you. There are others of you today that are carrying some kind of burden, some kind of financial burden, some kind of relational burden, some kind of, maybe it's an unemployment issue or, or it's some kind of living situation, an addiction that you personally carry, but you're discouraged and you want to have faith. You need God to do something on your behalf today. I believe that God can and that he will answer your prayers. If that's you and you want me to pray for you today, would you just shoot your hand up and say, that's me. There ought to be hands all over this place. It should be all of us. Yeah. Father, I pray that you would build our faith to put all of our hope in you today, that we would show complete and total reliance in your ability to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You are that good. You are that great rebuild our faith. Lord, but for some of those of us that have been hurt because we've had it twisted, Father, I pray that you would do a healing work in us now, that you would encourage us and remind us of your love, remind us of our first love, which was remembering that Jesus gave it all for us, that we are forgiven, that we are translated into being sons and daughters of God from our sinful states. As we continue to pray, there are people here today that, that uh, you're not even following Christ. Maybe you've prayed before and God hasn't answered your prayers. Let me tell you a prayer that God always answers. One of repentance. One of a cry out for his mercy. One of a calling out for his grace. He always answers that. No matter what state you find yourself in today, if you are far from God and want to be close to him and know him, today you can do that. You can pray a prayer that changes everything. Your life can literally be transformed, your past forgiven, and you made brand new. Today, if you want to pray that prayer and confess your need for Jesus to be Lord of your life, I'm going to pray. And if you want to join me in that prayer, would you just shoot your hand up? There's nobody looking around. Do it now. Say, Aaron, count me in on that prayer. Do it now. Shoot your hand up now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Pray this prayer after me. You can pray it out loud, but you just need to mean it in your heart. If you're watching by Periscope or listening through podcasts, join us now where you're at. I believe that God will meet your need and transform you in a moment. Don't miss out. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth. You lived a perfect and sinless life. You died a brutal death on that cross. and You rose again so that I could be made brand new, so that I could be adopted into the family of God. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. I need you, Jesus. Be Lord of my life. Amen.